0: Okay, man, I, you know, gosh, it's hard to believe that just nine days ago, I think nine days ago, nine days ago was Christmas Eve, right? Christmas Eve, the room here was filled with chairs. We didn't have room for any tables, just packed it out with chairs, and it was wonderful and encouraging, and our staff when, and our volunteer teams worked really hard on that Christmas Eve service. It was wonderful. And, you know, we had a real focus on the light of Jesus, right, which led us to kind of our candle lighting thing at the end, the candle lights, which, again, is a reminder that Jesus came as the light, then he calls us the light of the world, and that candle lighting is just a reminder, I think a powerful one, of how light just spreads one at a time, it's just one flame, but together it grows and grows. It's such a picture of the power of light, and for me, I really left here Christmas Eve... Um, humbled and excited, like, okay, God, I, it's such a powerful remember, a powerful way to remember that you are light, and even our little flickering lights together can actually make a powerful difference. So that was Christmas Eve, just feeling great, wonderful. We took a few days and went on a little trip, got to do some hiking with some friends, and had a great, wonderful time. We were pretty much disconnected from the internet. There was literally a spot on this farm orchard what would you call it, bed and breakfast place? A chair and a sign that said, you might maybe have cell phone signal right here. (laughs) No lie. So we maybe checked our email a couple times. But but it was just nice to be unplugged and just kind of away. And then what did we do? We come home, New Year's Eve, and we just forgetfully go, hey. You know, it's New Year's Eve, and we're old, so we're not going to stay up uh, that late. Um, but, you know, let's, let's kind of look back. How was 2021? I mean, at first, we were looking at pictures of the things that we did in 2021, which was really fun to do. But then we just got the terrible idea that we should watch, you know, some, like, YouTube, hey, the year in review, 2021, the year in review. Yeah, you can see where I'm going with this, right? It was like, oh, we're just feeling good. <laughs> Heidi's owning the idea. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus, babe, but, um, Yeah. So, I mean, holy smokes, some of the things that I was like, wow, that was this year, right? You start out with, you know, insurrection and all the division coming out of that and all the political divides, and to watch the footage of that again was like, whoa, I, I kind of had almost forgotten a little bit of how scary or weird or different that really was. And, and I look back, they look back a year ago, you know, we were ending, finally, 2020 was in our rearview mirror. All this COVID stuff was going to be behind us. We're moving into 2021, right? A little bit laughable, like, good riddance 2020, goodbye COVID, not quite, right? Instead, we have vaccine and mask protests and divided families and school, school board meetings that became, like, battlegrounds for people. And then we have variants and spikes and all kinds of, like, just exhausting of course, I kept watching. Like right there, should have been enough, right? <laughs> Talked about racial tensions and go, oh my, we haven't improved all that much, have we? Still haven't gotten much better at seeking to learn from the life experiences of people who are quite different than us. Um, hmm, interesting. And then uh, the Weather Channel probably had a whole special on, you know, here's the weather disasters for the last year, right? Like the deep freeze in Texas. That was. In 2021, people died. Um, I mean, there was insanity, right? There's heat waves and deep freezes, and there's floods and there's droughts and there's wildfires. Uh, Pastor Jim and his family are not far. We're not far away this week, uh, visiting their family in in Colorado from where hundreds of homes, boom, in December, a wildfire up there just torched. Crazy. And then tornadoes in December. Like, maybe I haven't been paying attention in the past, but that was kind of wild. I mean, the newsreel for all that was going on, and suddenly my just kind of peaceful light of the world just went, right, just really deflated. And I did that to myself, right? Um, Pretty dark, pretty dark. In fact, when we focus in on some of the lowlights of... Past years or past seasons, we can quickly start to feel that anxiety and that fear rise inside of us like it's the end of the world as we know it, and I don't feel fine. Little REM fans there, all right? <clears throat> I mean, again, think of it, just a week before that, it was Christmas Eve, we read about Jesus being the light of the world and shining light into this dark world, and then I watched the year-in-review of 2021, and it sure looked dark still. And as a pastor, I feel this ache in my soul, like I want our church to be a place that brings light into darkness, not in ways that bring more division or side-picking or more anger I want us to bring light that brings healing to people and hope to people. Like, that hope, Covenant Church, would be a literal place of hope where people can come here and find and follow Jesus together. And not just to stay inside our walls. Um, we don't want to just stay in here. We want God to shine his light through us to bring, to bring light to our dark world. And when I start to think that way, I honestly sometimes go, am I crazy? Like, that even possible? I mean, really? Seriously, Doug, you think that would happen? And some of my pastor friends that I talk to, like, you know, the real chipper, you know, I'm trying to find a nice word, the real positive ones, um, they're all over it, right? And they're great. I, I need those voices. I need their encouragement. And they're like, come on, let's... And then some of the pastor friends I have um, maybe are a little too dark. They've watched too many reels of the year in review. And they're like, yeah, our church will be lucky to even survive this next year or two. So sometimes I think I'm crazy, and then I came across this story, and I really think this was God's timing, of a man who dared to believe that, that bringing light into dark situations that looked hope, hopeless, that bringing light, even just one man starting still matters and still makes a difference. And I get encouraged because I remember that it's not me or just our staff or our team. It's not even just our church, but the reminder that more and more of us know that we want to be a light, so we are way more than one person. But listen to the story of the one man, and his name He's a businessman named Jaime Jaramillo. And back in the 70s, he's a wealthy businessman. He's walking along the streets of his hometown, Bogota, Colombia, and he sees a little girl climb into a manhole down to the sewer beneath the streets. And he thought, wow, where did she go? And so he went home and decided to put on a wetsuit because he didn't know what he was going to run into. And he followed this little girl path because another one went in, followed her into this manhole, got down in there. And what he saw was 90 children living underground in filthy rat-infested sewers. Now, at the time, there was this awful, dark civil war going on in Colombia. Times were very, very dark, and many children found themselves orphaned. They were at the bottom of society, subject to gang violence, subject to abuse. One gang member said, we regard these street kids like lice. Best thing to do is to kill them. And so Jaime, this wealthy businessman, he didn't see kids that way. Instead, he devoted his fortune to rescuing as many street kids as he could. He built a children's home where children could be fed and cared for and loved and get an education. And then over the next few decades, Papa Jaime, as he is now affectionately known in Colombia, he has shined a light and rescued thousands of children from the streets. Now, we know that's admirable, and in our day and age and culture, we think that's a good thing. But but why do you think that Papa Jaime had this idea, this belief that, that, that all kids, even kids living in the streets and in the sewers, all kids have value? And why do you think that he thought it was even a thing to try doing, that he'd give away his entire fortune to help children that most people considered to be no better than sewer rats, at least in his Area, like where did that broader idea in our own culture or in our world? Where did the idea come from? The idea that every human being, no matter how poor or abused or neglected, every human being has value and has worth. Well, I want to contend, and I'll go into this in a minute, but I want to contend that that idea originated with the shining light of Jesus, which came and first broke through the darkness over 2,000 years ago. That's where that idea started, and we'll look more deeply at that. But for for a second, I just want to, I mean, I was looking at all these verses about Jesus being the light and the light of the world. I'm looking at all these scriptures, and I just narrowed it down to a few that I want to read, and then I want to tell you how that light of Jesus has made a difference in our world in just a few different areas. But one of the passages that talks about Jesus being light comes from John chapter 1 and starts in verse 1. Let's actually skip to the next slide, verse 4. Um, It's it's talking about that Jesus was given by God and it's kind of given the origins of his story. But in him, verse 4, in him, in Jesus was life and that life was the light of all humankind, the light, and again, we know he's talking about Jesus. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then he tells us, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he's talking about John the Baptist, and he came as a witness to testify concerning, concerning that light, who is Jesus, so that through him all might believe. He himself, John the Baptist, was not the light. He came only as a witness to that light, the true light, see, it's, this is the true light. So Jesus that gives light to everyone was coming into our world. He is the light. There was a prophecy that we read many times during Advent and on Christmas Eve out of Isaiah chapter nine that talks about the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. And here's what it says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. That's what will happen when the Messiah comes, prophesies Isaiah. And then Jesus comes, he is born. And in Luke chapter 2, this old man, Simeon, is waiting in the temple and he, he sees the baby Jesus. And he says that God has given a light. In Jesus, God has given a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So that's those of us who aren't Jews, you and me. Probably most of us. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That's another place, and there's so many. Just just one more I want to look at here. Um, light, what does it mean to become a Christian? The Apostle Peter uses this light picture for that as well. One of Jesus' closest friends He said that to become a Christian is to be called out of darkness into his wonderful light, right? You become a Christian, you are called out of darkness. You are called into the light, to walk in the light of Jesus, now, there were so many more that I just knew we didn't have time to keep plowing through these. And I just encourage you to look up references to light in the New Testament this week, especially in 1 John. There's so many good ones. But these references to light that I kept coming across uh, as I was reading Scripture, they really, they really stuck with me. And it got me thinking about why is it that Jesus as light to our world, why is that so important for us to notice? In our dark world, why do we want to notice that Jesus is actually light? That it's not just a cute little metaphorical picture that results in us making a really nice scene of, of, oh, it's beautiful when we light the candles in Advent and at Christmas Eve. There's, There's so much more than just that. Now, As we notice that that scripture says that Jesus is light into a dark place, um, we have to think about the culture that he was born into. Does anybody um, know what empire was ruling over the nation of Israel at the time of Jesus? Anybody know? Yes, the Roman Empire was ruling over Israel at that time. Now, the Roman Empire, if you know history at all, you know it was an advancement of many, many things. Some, all kinds of human progress was made during that era of civilization, but it was also a great place of severe darkness. We're gonna look at some of the darkness that Jesus brought light to. And, and if you are a thinker and you really like to hear how this gets unpacked, um, there's a great YouTube video of Tom Holland, who is one of uh, England's most prominent and popular historians and and writers on that topic. And in this video, Tom Holland is talking with uh, uh, N.T. Wright, who some of you probably have heard of. He's one of the world's top New Testament scholars, just a brilliant guy. And the video is called, Why I Changed My Mind About Christianity. And so Tom Holland said that what happened for him is that he always thought that he had these deeply held values, things that he thought were really important. He thought that those must have started way back in the ancient civilizations of Greece and Rome. He thought that, that must have been the source, right? All the advancements that were made way back then, that must be why we care about these things today. Things like the advancement of human rights or the treatment of women, um, things like caring for the poor or the sick or elderly, he just assumed, like, oh, that must have come about because of the Roman, you know, world and their great philosophers and the educators of that day, and it made an impact, and it rippled out, and that's why it's real today. And lots of people, he said, assume that that must be where it came from, that all the civilian advances um, happened because of that Greco-Roman world. But as this This scholar, this historian, studied Greece and Rome even more deeply. He came to see that these civilizations were actually far more more dark. Uh, In one of his books, Tom Holland writes about uh, Julius Caesar, who, by the way, just lived a few decades before Jesus was born, so about the same time, Julius Caesar. He's revered as this great leader But the truth about Caesar is that he murdered over 1 million people who lived in ancient France alone. Just that area. Just in that area. (laughs) A million of them. Gone. Um, He also enslaved another million people. In slavery. And rather than being ashamed of this slaughter and enslavement, Caesar actually bragged about it as a great accomplishment that proved his great leadership, his superiority. See, the poor and the weak and people from other nations and cultures, they had absolutely no value in ancient Rome or in Greece. Rome's economy was focused entirely on slave labor. That's what it was founded on. And not only their financial economy, their sexual economy was founded on the right of every free Roman male to have relationships with anyone they wanted, any way they wanted, consent or not. See, it was just accepted in that day in culture, and it was seen as a, a good thing that, that men with power and money and social clout had all the rights and privileges that they wanted. I mean, they were the ones that set the rules, and so they did what they wanted. It was their rights. And they were proud, actually, to do whatever they wanted to all others. So in, in, enslaving other people or sexually violating others, exploiting others, well, yeah. They believed that those things proved their superior status in that culture. So, all that to paint a little picture that the world that Jesus was born into was unspeakably dark compared to how we think things need to be today. So back to the historian, Tom Holland, he pondered these things and he just kind of wondered, well, where did I get these values, the things that I think are important, where did they come from? And the things that he cared the most about, caring for children, human rights, women's equality, caring for the sick and the weak, who was it that taught the world to care about these things? Who first taught it so that it took hold? And the more he studied, the more he found out that all of these concerns were raised and championed by Jesus. In fact, until Jesus came, none of these issues made any headway at all. Real progress, real growth, real advancements came about because the light and the influence of the way of Jesus and his followers. Let me give a few examples of that, a few more. Um, Like I've already said, the world that Jesus was born into was a very dark place. Now, another example of that darkness had to do with children. So in a Roman family, the father got to decide whether other family members lived or whether they died. So a child didn't have an absolute right to life just because they were born. Um, The father had eight or nine days after the child was born to decide whether we're gonna welcome this child into the family or not. We're gonna put the child to death or are we gonna let that child live. So if a child was born with a physical deformity or some kind of disability, very normal, For a Roman father to toss that child into the streets, into the cold to die, um, or to kill them another way, Um, it was legal in their culture, this highly advanced culture. It was still legal to abuse children. Fathers could sell their children as slaves. It was all normal. It was acceptable in their society. And so when we stop and just kind of ask ourselves why we believe that children must be protected from abuse. Like, where did that idea originally stem from? It actually stemmed from Scripture, from from the Bible. And the idea that every child has worth and that every child needs to be loved and protected actually came from Jesus. Like, if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus welcomed children to himself. We kind of blow by it like, oh, isn't that cute and nice? It's a good little picture for a Sunday school room. But that was making a statement that was very countercultural in that day. Jesus made children the hero of some of his stories. Jesus really blew people away when when he told folks that when they hurt a child, or if they were to hurt a child, they'd be better off tying a rock around their necks and jumping off a bridge than to face God and what God would do with abusers. Very radical saying really got people's attention because well, nobody thinks that way. But it wasn't just what Jesus said and taught that helps us to understand that every baby, every child has worth and needs to be protected. I think it's the way that God decided to come into this world that makes a huge statement. Like God decided to come into this world as a baby? <laughs> into that world as a, a baby? Read, I read a story... Um, pastor rich nathan tells um, about a massive tornado in kansas anybody ever come from a place where there's tornadoes not super fun right i don't miss that (laughs) Uh, but in kansas it's pretty common and there was a massive tornado had ripped through this little farming community nearly destroyed one of the homes there and that family had a little girl Um, And after that tornado happened, she understandably was just terrified every time a storm would even come up. And she would just cry in her bed just when any storm happened because she was so terrified. And and one evening, there was a massive thunderstorm. The thunder rattled the windows of their home. And this little girl's bedtime had come. And she was afraid to go upstairs. So her dad walked her upstairs, put her in bed. And then he went downstairs. And from the living room, he could hear his little girl upstairs, and she was crying. And so he gets up, and he walks back upstairs and says, Honey, there's no reason to cry. It's only a thunderstorm. It'll be over soon. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be scared. And the little girl looked up at her father and said, Daddy, that's easy for you to say, but you don't know what it's like to be little. (laughs) And what I love about that little story is such a beautiful picture. Um, such a great picture that God doesn't just come to you and I and stand by us and say, hey, hey, don't be afraid. You're gonna be fine. Cheer up. The God that the Bible tells us about tells us that, that God knows what it's like to be little. He knows. Like he came as a baby. He knows what it's like to be little. And so the God that we worship, that we pray to when we need help, that God Knows what it's like to be little. He can relate. He came into this world as a newborn baby. Rich Nathan again, he says, and it's because God became a baby that God gave every single baby, every single child, divine worth. It's a huge statement that God made through Jesus coming as a baby. Now, as a result, is that unfolded over the decades and centuries. Christians all throughout history have worked to protect children. Christians have started agencies to keep children from being abused and orphanages all over the world to make sure that children who didn't have anybody to look after them were were cared for, were given an education, given food and clothing. And again, that's not how things worked in our world. Nobody even thought about it. And then, (laughs) one day God shows up as a baby. And then when Jesus grew to be a man, he demonstrated God's heart for babies and children. And then, after that, and starting there, everything changed. And now the status, the value, the worth of children is much, much higher. And it all started, it all stemmed from, it originated from... Jesus, and the followers of Jesus, who lived in the way of Jesus, shining the light of Jesus. And I just have to say, listen, I know that very often the church and Christians have gotten it wrong, and we always need to look honestly, repent of the ways that we have not looked like Jesus, and even so, I think it's also important for us to remember That especially in the first few hundred years of the church, when nobody even thought this way until Christians came along, many of the shifts in culture happened as a result of these early followers of Jesus, who shined the light of Jesus onto the dark places in our world and said, no more. No, no more of that. Children will matter. They do matter. We will value children just like Jesus did. There's another area that I think is important, because it's easy to miss this, that I want to highlight, where Christians helped improve the world, and it has to do with the value placed on women. And again, I have to say, (laughs) listen, there are plenty of ways that Christians have blown it, and we need to repent of the ways that we have missed the mark and not elevated women the same way that Jesus did. But when we look at that culture 2,000 years ago, the world that Jesus was born into and shined his light into, I already said it was a very, very dark place, and it was very dark, especially for women. Now, how many of you think that men should have all the rights, all the privileges, all the opportunities, and women should have none? Or do you think that women need to have the same rights and opportunities as men? And before you answer that, men... Um, if you're sitting next to your wife, just think about where you want to sleep tonight in the <laughs> garage. Or but let me ask a question again: Do you think women ought to have the same value, the same rights and opportunities as men? Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't do that because if somebody didn't raise their hand, they're in so much trouble later. They might, yeah. <clears throat> now, where do we get that idea from? Again, we, we go, well, I must have come from this or that or the other thing." But the studies uh, that Tom Holland and many other historians have done show that that it came actually from Christians. Um, See, God had designed our world (laughs) that a relatively equal number of boys and girls as babies would be born, but historians who have studied ancient Greek and ancient Roman culture before Christianity started to spread, they discovered that in Greek and Roman cities, men wildly outnumbered women. And the reason was is that families didn't want girls. Ancient records actually show that there was virtually no large family in ancient Greece or Rome that had more than one daughter. More than one daughter. Hardly anybody. The records in one ancient Greek city showed that of, of 600 families, only six of them, so 1%, only six of them raised more than one daughter. Only six. Now, so if you're a woman or a girl here this morning and you have an older sister, think about this. If you would have lived in ancient Rome or ancient Greece, you probably would not have seen your first birthday. That's troubling to think about. Now, even those that did, that were allowed to live, girls received little or no education at the time Jesus was born. They were married off usually about age 13, sometimes younger, and before the way of Jesus took hold, men could divorce their wives simply by ordering their wife out of the home. Get out. That's all it took. Some of the ladies in the first service were chuckling and I was gonna say, "Kate, it was the men that could do that, not the women. So I was just like, you know. Now, it wasn't just the Roman culture. This was pretty common everywhere. Even the Jewish people. So the people of God were divided on how this worked. One famous rabbi taught that a man, and he was very popular because of this teaching, he taught that a man could divorce his wife for any cause, for any reason. Any reason. And by the way, that's the context when you read about what Jesus has to say about divorce. Jesus was answering a question that they all knew and assumed. He wasn't teaching everything he was, you know, would teach on divorce. He was answering the question and basically saying, no, I don't side with that guy. No. That's not okay. But all of these just... Illustrations are to say that being a woman in that day was needless to say fraught with peril and abuse. In Greek and Roman culture and really all of the civilizations, it was normal. It was accepted. But where did that change? The early church brought the change. The early church prohibited putting girl babies to death. The early church forbid men from simply divorcing their wives for any reason. They rejected the double standard of that day. See, the the standard back then just was accepted that men could have sex with whoever they wanted while insisting that women had to be virgins when they were married and faithful to their husbands all throughout their marriage, even though Roman husbands were not required to be faithful. But the followers of Jesus introduced this idea that chastity... Fidelity and faithfulness was for both husbands and wives. The church came against that anti-woman culture that devalued women and shined a light and said, no, 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 no. Women are not to be treated that way. So where did the early church get that idea? Well, they got that idea that women had as much value as men from Jesus. See, Jesus forbid easy divorce by men. It was Jesus who called women to be among his early followers, his disciples. The Gospels also tell us that the last people to stand by the cross when Jesus died, the last people were who? Women. Women. And the first that, and this is really wild, the first people to proclaim that Jesus had risen from the dead, Jesus gave that honor to women. Women. I mean, before that, here's how it worked in their culture. Women were unreliable as witnesses in court. So, if a hundred women saw something happen, but no man was there to you know, validate it, their testimony did not matter. How huge of a statement was it for God to say, no, 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 here's who's gonna be the witnesses. We're gonna make everybody confused. We're gonna turn that one on its head. Women are the first witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, and that impacted everything in their mind. It's like Jesus saying, oh yeah? You don't think women are trustworthy? Watch this. (laughs) See, women were the heroes of many of Jesus' stories, and while this... Priority that is close to the heart of God has honestly often gotten lost by some Christians in history and even today. We've got a lot to make up for, long ways to go still. But the truth is, you can actually trace the origins of women's rights in the Western world back to one source to Jesus Christ. He was the light that shined in the darkness and brought about that change. And again, (laughs) his followers, that's you and me, um, man, oh man, do we do a terrible job sometimes. We got a long ways to go on that. But Jesus started it. So, caring for women, for children, early Christians were the ones that championed those values Um, And real quick, just how about the value that we have as a society for caring for other people? Like, do you think it's important to care for sick people? Like, that they need to be able to get treated or go to the hospital or be nursed back to health? Or or do you think that if a person's sick, they just need to be left to fend for themselves and shunned and rejected by their friends and family? See, ancient records tell us that's how Roman culture treated the sick. When disease spread in the Roman Empire, non-Christians would just abandon and leave their relatives to die. And I'll skip over the stories of that um, just for time's sake here. But I'll just say this. It was Christians who alone stayed to help their relatives, their friends, their loved ones, and to help strangers, to care for them, to nurse them back to health. And before them, nobody ever did. Nobody ever thought of it. And why would they do that? because of Jesus. Jesus who healed the sick and taught his followers to always care for the sick. See friends, that's the light of Jesus shining in a dark world. That's the effect of Christians following the way of Jesus. It changes the culture and eventually it changes the world. So, yeah, the world that Jesus was born into, it was very very dark. And he and those that followed his way brought light into darkness. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this in verse 14, you are the light of the world. He's talking to his followers. He's talking to you and me. You are the light of the world. Wait a minute, Jesus. We've been seeing that you're the light in the world. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-huh, and you're my followers, and now you are the light of the world. Town built on a hill, can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, Jesus called us to be the light of the world because, well, we just look around our world right now and there's still a lot of darkness today, isn't there? And this year and the past few years, and shoot, probably longer than that, uh, some people look at our dark world, our dark society, the problems we're facing, and they think what's going to solve it is going to be the right politics. Like, if we just give our allegiance to the right political party, then all of these deeper social issues will be healed. And politicians on both sides of the aisle know that we are desperate because it's dark and we aren't sure what to do as a nation. So they say things like, I and I alone can fix it. <laughs> and instead of us spotting narcissism like that and running the other way, we seem to fall for it. Because we want to be a part of a bigger team. You know, we want to be a part of a bigger team to feel like we're you know, going to make some momentum But the problem with becoming a part of a bigger team when it comes to politics and putting our allegiance in that, we see the fruit of that in churches all the time. Because now, we're supposed to be first allegiance to Jesus and the kingdom of God and the body of Christ, but there's other Christians that don't think like I do politically, so I'm going to write them off. Suddenly, we have divisions in the body of Christ because we've put a political ideology ahead of figuring out how to be united. And our light grows dimmer every time we do that. And the enemy <laughs> loves it, loves it. Friends, we have to understand that when our connections to each other become more fragile because of opinion differences, and we start shouting at each other, and rail against other people, that we're just living out of fear. And it won't work to, I'm going to be less frightened because I'm going to join my life to this political cause. That's not going to cause you to be less fearful, maybe more angry. And I'm not saying that <laughs> there aren't important things in politics, but, but, but hear me. The cure for what is ailing America is not going to be found in politics, You know, light is not going to come into our country through the Republican Party, and it's not going to come through the Democratic Party or any other party for that matter. Light is going to come as you and I make the continual decision to follow Jesus, who is the light of the world. And so when you look at the world around us, it's easy to start feeling overwhelmed. But you know who's never overwhelmed by the mess that we've made of our world? Jesus. He's never overwhelmed by the darkness, not ever. And he has a plan. His plan is that we, you and I, are now the light of this world. We follow the way of Jesus. We bring light to the darkness. And so I just want to give us Kind of a practical application, because you know we could be like, "Hey, that sounds great. OK, Jesus is the light of the world." OK. Awesome, very cool. candlelights, all the good. yeah, warm fuzzies. But you know, look back at Matthew five. First line: "You, who's the light of the world? You are the light of the world." And the last phrase. Let your light shine before others. that they may see your strong political opinions. No. Um, they may see your correct facts and data. They may see your judgments about what is right and what is wrong and what we think the Bible says and you're wrong and we're right. No, maybe? No. Yeah no. They will see your, what? Good deeds and glorify your father in heaven, which means they go, wow. They got something. That must be Jesus somehow. Wow. That light they're shining, wow. I wonder if that has something to do with the God that they worship. So to do your good deeds... Very practical. Like any one of you could come up with ways to apply this truth that Jesus brought light to our dark world. He calls you and I to now be the light of the world. As we follow him, we get to light up the darkness around us. And so there are some good deeds. Not to earn salvation. That's not even a thing. Like, that's what grace is. You are already accepted. You belong to him. Your good deeds are not to prove yourself. And earn anything. Your good deeds are just to put on display what's already true about who God says you are, the light of the world. And Heidi and I were thinking about this, like, okay, what are some practical just suggestions we can put in front of people? Here's just a few ideas. Um, First one, uh, one idea, just learn the names of each neighbor whose property borders or touches yours. Just learn their names and, and then pray for them. We don't know the names we had to realize, we, oh, we don't know everybody's name. That even just those right around us, we don't know all their names. Sometimes we pray for their dog to shut up, but, you know. <laughs> but that's just a simple, practical one. And if your dog's the one barking, yeah, shut your, no, okay. so um, <laughs> uh, Another idea, just, just simple, speak a kind word to someone who's lonely. Just a kind word doesn't have to be long or drawn out. Just be kind. Um, here's another one. Affirm workers in stores or at the drive through Which, again, don't be condescending. But, you know, just, be, just affirm what they're doing. Like, you know, um, man, I know a lot of places are having a hard time hiring good people. Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate you. It makes a difference. Um, before we hit the next one, I got one that somebody gave me between... You get to be the benefactors of first service. Um, uh, a guy that's uh, got his PhD in psychology, we chatted between services, and this is such an easy one, but just ask people like, hey, how are you? And then listen. Like, don't ask, don't ask people, hey, how you doing, as you're rushing out the door. Um, when you know you have time to make time, how are you? No, really, how are you? And, and, and let them be seen. Let them be seen. Who does that? And then, here's the deep dive. Here's the deep dive. And this one you get to go see Heidi for. Um, Get involved in resettling Afghan refugee families here in the East Valley. Heidi's putting some pieces of that together that we'll be announcing soon, just for whoever wants to get involved in that, but that would be a really powerful way to bring light to a very dark situation. But that's who we are, people of God, the light of this world. And can you imagine what happens even when just our little church family begins to take more and more seriously, like how do we even better love our, our neighbors and our, and our coworkers and our families? Like we see the darkness around us and instead of getting discouraged like I'm prone to doing, we go, wait, 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 wait. That's dark. But Jesus believes <laughs> that through you and me we can bring light to that darkness like we don't ignore the darkness the darkness is real make no mistake but it's just amazing to me <laughs> that that number 1 Jesus is not afraid it doesn't phase him the darkness doesn't phase him and number 2 he has a plan what to do about that darkness and his plan <laughs> as crazy as it sounds his plan is you and me we are the light of the world. That's his plan? (laughs) Yep. Yep. You and me, followers of Jesus, we get to be the light of this world. Worship team, will you come? And I'm gonna transition us to the communion time, so feel free to grab your cups and juice and make that lovely sound of cracking open the... It's very sacred, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that was just, I was trying to think, like, how does this tie together, right? And it wasn't too hard, actually. Because, um, you know, as followers of Jesus, communion is such a reminder of how we shine our light. You know, you know, we can go into the light and power over people and just yell louder and sign petitions and you know, whatever, Right? you're wrong and I'm going to quote scripture at you. That is not the way of Jesus. That's the power of the kingdom of this world which is power over dominating, yelling louder, signing petitions. That's the power of the sword. Power of the kingdom of God comes not power over, it comes as power under. It's not about a sword and winning, it's about the cross and sacrificing. It's not about... (laughs) Sheer power, it's about love. And this is what the cross is. It's this picture of Jesus willingly laid down his life to show us how it is that we shine our light to the world around us. He didn't have to do it that way. But apparently, if he didn't do it that way, they were never gonna get it. <laughs> and so just as he willingly laid down his life, we are called to lay down our lives, our preferences, our power as a way of letting our light shine into this dark and broken world. Jesus knows (laughs) our temptation, or my temptation even, just to try to get big and loud and argue and fight and dominate when we feel threatened. And so he, he demonstrates what true power looks like by laying down his life. Then he calls us to take up the cross and follow him and so on the night he was betrayed he gives us this this meal sacraments communion the Eucharist the last supper so many words we have for it communion but this is a sacred picture of what true power looks like one that he wants us to remember again and again and again and so take your elements and Remember that on the night that he was betrayed Jesus took bread and he had given thanks and he broke it and said this is my body which will be broken for you take and eat and do this in remembrance of me friends let's eat together And then after supper, scripture records that he took the cup, and it would have been a common cup. And I picture him holding it up and it says, When he had blessed it, just picture him looking at his disciples who have no idea what's going on. They still expect he's going to be the king who's going to win by force of power and might, not by giving up his life. And he holds up the cup. He says, This cup is the new covenant. It's a word for promise. The new promise which is in my blood which will be poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, let's drink together. Friends, the light of Jesus shines brightly at the cross. He is truly our only hope. He's all we need, and he's truly all that we really can count on. He is all that we have. As Tony and the band sing this song, just let these words soak into your heart and become a prayer from your heart to his.